Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menu at roasthousepub.com, or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap. This is episode 110, and I'm your host, Chris Sands. This week, we are joined by two-thirds of the founders from Checkerspot Brewing Company, Judy Naff. Say hello. Hello. Although I'm sure it'll be easy to tell the voices apart. And Steve Marsh. <laughs> hello. How are you doing? Doing well. Um, how are you guys? Great. Happy awesome. to be here. Good day. Was the drive was the drive out dry or was it during yeah. one of the spurts of rain today? No, we didn't. We didn't hit anything. So the, I feel like Checker Spot was known by everyone at least a year before you opened. As Steve was just all over the state brewing beer and doing collaboration beers long before you had a brewery. So did, did that help a lot with um, getting your name out in like, when you opened? Like everyone already knew who you were. Oh yeah, it, it yeah. helped. It also helped us like really work on so many different systems and with so many different people. Can you slide in yeah. just a tad? Sure. Yeah, yeah, with so many different people, we uh, we go. actually got sound. a yeah, <laughs> we got a chance to work with some of my bureaus, you know, like people that I've been work working for or with for years. So we got a chance to actually brew with the brewers and on so many different systems. It was awesome, and it, I I I found it at least nice too because like so many when brewers are about to open, you're excited because it's a new place, new place to try, but you don't know what it's going to be like, but. Before you opened, I had a very good idea of what your beer was going to taste like from all the times I've had I had had Checker Spot collaborations beforehand. So I, I thought that was a really cool approach to building up to your opening. Yeah, and it, it probably would have happened a lot sooner had our um, landlord been working with us. But we actually got a chance to kind of practice and, I mean, spend a lot of time. Judy spent a lot of time making and perfecting the recipes before we even opened here. That seems like a recurring theme of the bane of the landlord <laughs> to breweries yeah. opening. It's, it's either it's landlord a, or zoning or, yeah, or something. The um the complaints of of like the local uh, politicians or like the the local environment has died down a little bit. It's always that the landlord is what held people up from opening lately. It seems. Yeah, that's been 100% from, from our side. Um, but we're sort of trying to make lemonade out of lemons type thing. And, and so we were going to start out just doing, I think, two or three collaborations before we opened. And then that sort of snowballed into a whole bunch more uh, that we were able to do that we wouldn't have otherwise had time for the brewery to open yeah. when it was supposed to. Um, but, yes, yeah, so we really, really got to, like you are saying, brew a lot of different beers with a lot of different brewers uh sort of learn why everyone does everything a little bit differently and and sort of hone in how we wanted to do did that help with choosing what equipment you were going to purchase or had all that been done before we had bought the equipment okay yeah so the the equipment was purchased you know it's equipment tends or at least then tended to be about a six month lead time yeah um so we had all that set and ready to open uh you know we were ready to open the year before the year before we did um, but yeah, the equipment manufacturer we worked with, Craft Kettle, uh, out of New Orleans. They're a smaller startup, and okay. they've been great. I mean, they held Stored on to all, all this stuff for us. Um, they they really worked with us through the process. That had they not been a small startup like us, you know, wouldn't be able Probably to do something too bad like we're that. We're shipping it yeah. to you. <laughs> yeah, and you only want to set up a brewery once. <laughs> yeah. And we were like their third their third system that they yeah. built. So they had only built a few systems. So they they're. They've really been interested in helping us out with any problems we've had. I actually come in. Actually, they fly overnight. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. They fly overnight to come and fix an electrical problem, or it's 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 they've been awesome. Mm -hmm. So I guess there's a there's the risks of going with a small unproven company, but then definitely the the plus sides of they're very motivated to make sure that customer service is awesome. Yeah, that they that their word of mouth is not going to get hampered by not supporting you. So Steve, you have quite a history of brewing, correct? Like you've a few years yeah. worked at um, a f- several heavy seas, yeah. milk house, and so let's let's talk about your background for a little bit. How did how did you get into brewing? 
where were your first jobs? What were you doing? Actually, my um, my history with brewing is I went to England a lot. Um, both my parents were born in England. My grandparents. So every year we went to England. And it was kind of like the England was the the home base. So we'd stay a week in England and then we'd go and travel around Europe. Or and um, so what I remember as a kid, um, my dad bringing home um, brew kits from Boots Pharmacy, um, which is a pharmacy in England. And this is like around 75, between 75 and 88. And um, he was, a, he was a, a biochemist at, at Hopkins. And he would bring home these chemicals to clean this green trash can he had in the back corner of the basement. And we actually made these brew kits. So I remember as a little boy bottling, that was my job, was putting the little sugar tablet in the bottle and... He saved all the champagne bottles and corks, and I'd cork them up, and that was my job. And then later on, I kind of sort of took over a little bit more and helping him brew. and um, Worked your way up a little bit. Worked my way up, yeah, <laughs> um, to um, uh, my, my history is in, in produce and working with farms and having a big garden. Um, I worked for Mars Supermarket as a produce manager for probably about 15 years. But I was always home brewing, and um, and through my dad and my home brewing, I met Hugh Sisson uh, back in Sisson's days, and um, kind of really enjoyed the whole brew, the home brewing thing. And and as it became more and more um, ingredients that you could you could find ingredients. At first, it was all you could get was a kit. Um, then you could then then there's specialty grains available in only certain areas, and um, it was actually in 1999 that I met uh, Christine Anderson at Maryland Homebrew, and I was able to get interesting grains at a at a more reasonable cost. And and trying to find anything to brew was almost impossible until I think probably like 95, 96. Um, so a lot of a lot of my history has been sort of figuring out ways to to make beer mostly on the seller side and um and as i as i as i grew it became more on what what can you do to beer to make it better add more hops or um and um so when i left mars i went back to school and i got my degree in, uh, in environmental science at umbc and came out and there weren't very many environmental jobs and um so i took went back to my friend uh, hugh sisson and said uh I'd like to work and make beer professionally, and um, I'd like to do cask working. So I kind of worked with Joe Gold and uh, Tom Chizalkas, originally Tom Chizalkas, and just sort of built the, the cask empire that Hugh had. Um, and he's, he actually bought me 600 casks, which was pretty impressive for, wow. yeah. for a boss to say, here, have fun. Have fun. And I had fun for about, uh, built about 6,000 of them at, at Heavy Seas. So do you, did that, um, your interest in cask beer and the love of that, was that born from traveling back to Europe often? Or were you first exposed to cask beer in the U.S.? I was actually exposed to cask beer in England. So each, every year that we went, uh, we'd be in a pub. Dad would take me to a pub. The drinking age was 14, 15 years old. So I was tossing back half pints of of english bitter when i was 14 and 15 years old and i i actually my big thing was collecting paraphernalia so i was bringing back huge boxes at like 10 years old of beer cans and paraphernalia and we'd stash them in the bottom of the sh of the airplane back <laughs> when you didn't have to pay for extra luggage or anything but i remember like making these boxes and having a huge box that we had to check into the airplane and put into the whole wrapping each can really carefully. I had all the tenants girls and stuff like that, you know, like as a kid, it was just awesome. Honey. So what did, and then from heavy seas, where'd you go? Heavy seas. I worked at heavy seas about seven years and I went to, um, Tom Barth. A lot of my connection be, between heavy seas, I was sourcing hops, local hops for heavy seas for the casks that I was making. Um, and started growing, um, got together with Tom Bars and, and grew, a, grew a relationship where I was 
using all his hops. Okay. Other than what he was using to brew. And um, when I left Heavy Seas, I went to Tom and asked him for a job, and I basically brewed for the first year that Milk House opened with Tom. Uh, so I was brew- more on the brewing side with okay. him as an assistant brewer. So, Judy, what were you doing beforehand? Because you, you haven't worked at a brewery, is that no, correct? No, so, or? yeah, I started, I guess, with craft beer, um, home brewing around uh, 2004. Um, I just started my... PhD at Hopkins, which is what got me to Baltimore. Uh, so my PhD was in microbiology and immunology. Uh, so I, you know, was homebrewing on the side as a hobby. Um, and then um, my, my now husband <laughs> and I, at the time, uh, we bought a house first. But um, the, we had a basement that we could do whatever we wanted with. So he put in a workshop and I put in a brewery. Uh, so I was very lucky to have that. And that sort of then, you know, brewing started getting a little out of control. And I had eight beers on tap. One of those was a nitro <laughs> tap. And, yeah, it sort of went from one to two to, you know, I would make a beer and then taste it and then want it to be gone so that I could taste the next one and brew another batch because I wanted to change something or make it better. Um, so, yeah, I just uh, I sort of stayed with science, got my postdoc at NIH, um, and then started working for a company doing, um, starting up a lab to do uh, hospital disinfectant testing. Um, and that company was definitely going belly up and I could oh. see it from, from, you could see it from far yeah. away. Um, you know, so there, at that point I was sort of at a crossroads. Do I really want to pursue brewing as a, you know, open a brewery or, you know, I would need to find another job. Um, so I ended up staying at the job till they ended they shut down which gave me a lot of free time um we we're sort of a shell of a company yeah just maintaining um so i was fortunate enough to be able to get paid to then really do a lot of the research and the on the financial side and equipment side like what do we need how much does these things cost like is this is this something we can do and how much yeah how much do we need how, you know, how much money do you need where are you going to get it from um you know writing a business plan and um, doing a I learned learned accounting <laughs> in my spare time, like enough to do a you know, perform a uh, financial statement, things like that. Um, but yeah, so I think it's obvious which decision I ended up with, and yeah, no looking back. So, are you the one running around the brewery yelling at people to clean stuff properly? That's probably right. no, it's probably Steve. Oh. <laughs> So you're just sick of that life. <laughs> let, let Steve handle the. Yeah, and no, I like the, yeah, sort of the more, the brewing side. The, you know, I love the ingredients. Yeah, we both do. Uh, but really, really focusing on what ingredients we're using. You know, we never just pick something randomly. You know, so even like a good example is our, our base malt. You know, a lot of times people just get base malt. They don't really think much of it, but it's. You know, anywhere from eighty to ninety-nine or hundred percent of a lot, mo- almost all beers, um, and so we really did a side-by-side comparison um, of our you know, cream ale, which is just a light, a nice light beer that that you really highlights what the malt tastes like, and that's how we picked picked our base malt. Um, so different things like that. We've done that with our saison yeast strains, so things that are really defined by their ingredients. Um, so that's what we get really excited about. So you said that there was an interesting story between behind the beer that we're drinking now. Yeah, so it's called 390 Rive. Um, so it's uh, when you look out our taproom window, you can see 395, um, and it's it's great. We get we have a huge parking lot directly across the street that's right underneath underneath 395. So it's sort of homage to lots that. Lots of parking. Yeah. <laughs> lots of free parking here. Um, but so the beer sort of came from. Um, uh, the idea of rye whiskey. So the rye whiskey was sort of invented in both Maryland and Pennsylvania. Uh, the difference is, is in Pennsylvania it was just straight rye, and in Maryland it was rye and corn. Um, so sort of playing off of that, we used uh, corn, rye, and uh, local six-row barley from Chesapeake Malting Company from uh, Aaron Hopkins Farm. Um, and, you know, to, to sort of highlight highlight the, the heritage of Maryland rye whiskey, does not have any rye whiskey in it <laughs> so that would don't be illegal. don't get misled <laughs> um, the ingredients kind of follow the yeah yeah so what it is is the what the what the corn does is corn on its own just with the beer would make a very sweet beer 
and the rye on its own can be, you know, not always, but it, it can, can, can be overly harsh. And so if you have that corn there to sort of balance the rye, you don't get the sweetness or harshness, but you get that rye flavor um, that really shines through. Yeah, I, the, and as I was saying before, you like this, it has a tremendous amount of flavor, like mm-hmm. the in the uh, complexity that you wouldn't expect from. I guess that's not that low of ABV beer, um, but like all the the different like where you said it was kind of like an amber lager, yeah. like you get all those flavors you associate with each style all. Yeah, four, I mean, four point nine percent is you know yeah. there are a lot of four point nine. It's it's definitely challenging to make flavor. a four point nine percent beer have a lot of flavor, which we really like to focus on a lot of five, you know, in the five percent range, um, and giving our beer a lot of flavor while still being very drinkable, and you can have a lot more than one or two or three even. Yeah, and this, this is good enough to have that many. Yeah. Um, let's take a, a real quick break to thank Roast House Pub which actually at this very moment, although actually by the time you're listening to this, it will not still be on tap. But if you're able to go back in time, um, one of their sours <laughs> is on tap at Roast House Pub right now. Um, so let's take a quick break to thank Roast House Pub for their continued support. A huge thank you to our presenting sponsor, Roast House Pub, which is located at 5700 Urbana Pike in Frederick, Maryland. If you have listened to this podcast before, you have definitely heard me go on and on about the beer dinners that Chef Nico creates. Simply put, they are amazing. But Roast House Pub has much more to offer. Their friendly staff is knowledgeable about beer and will help you choose from among the 20 beers they have on tap. In addition to the awesome beer selection, the food is always amazing. Make sure to follow them on Facebook and check their website at www.roasthousepub.com to keep up to date on their constant stream of events. So the one of the things you allude to is the, your location having um, ample parking, but another thing about your location is just how amazing the location is. How um, how well has that panned out being that close to um, Raven Stadium on game day? It's really good. It's been kind of interesting watching the the, the tailgaters um, and how. Being a brewery right across the street that's still under construction and trying to get people to realize that we're here yeah, right across a, the street. I yeah. remember the last time I saw you, you said like that was the biggest struggle because um, – and I saw the pictures that you guys had posted recently, and it really does look like it's not quite open and fully under construction. And but we are open. <laughs> <laughs> and not we all, not we need to that. get um, a big uh, – um, sheet like uh from uh clerks and just spray paint i assure you were open and tag that up on the front of it yeah or we're going to be named uh, after the den's glass the uh, siding that we have on the <laughs> it's a yellow building it's uh, basically just pointing and letting people know that yes you can get into that yellow construction site yeah and so we do set up out front um 100.7 has been great. So Jefferson Ward and Steve awesome. go way back. Um, and so he's been so supportive of our brewery, of us opening, of all craft beer, actually. Um, and so they've been um, doing live broadcasts. So Stash comes out and uh, Donna Jean, who uh, uh, works for them on the DJ side. And so the two of them really put together the, the tailgate show live right out in front. So we set up a tent and serve some... Um, some drafts, some cans, and of course, crowlers. You know, that's yeah. crowlers are these big gold crowlers are the perfect tailgate beer. Where can you know, you that, get one of those? That doesn't get it, that doesn't get any better. And, and for tailgating, you can just walk around and and just drink straight from the crowler, which you don't normally get to do that. You know, in a bar or anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then we're we're set up, and then we have a food vendor. Um, so these the next two weeks coming up, we're gonna have the Superior Oyster Shuckers. Uh, so the next two uh, November home games will be uh, oysters out front. Yeah, I would. Um, I bet by next season, when you look like a fully open <laughs> brewery and people know that you're there, because I mean, a lot of the people tailgating at football games are regulars. They're there. Well, they, every I mean, weekend. all the tailgaters say that they've been there for five years at the same spot, and they're bringing boxes, uh, thirty packs of Coors and Miller Lite, and then. It seems like about an hour before the game happens, then everybody's doing jello shooters, and it, <laughs> it's kind of it's a really interesting 
to to watch people. So now you just need to ease them into stopping and bring the uh, into daydream and the rye. Yeah, yeah. convince them to stop bringing the thirty packs with them and just come and get a bunch of crawlers. Cold gold can. Yep. So Steve (laughs) will go out in the crowd and he's pouring crawlers, you know, samples (laughs) for people so that they can try them. And then they, you know, I definitely see that people come back and they're like, some guy, you know, gave me a sample of this beer and I, I want, you know, I want more of that. Um, so we're definitely seeing a lot of that. And yeah, next year, once we're, you know, fully, fully open and we'll have that first and, and second floor on the second floor, we'll have a, you know, really big screen, like projector type thing and some comfy seating to, to be able to sort of sit and chill and watch the game for the people who aren't heading over. Yeah. Cause the, right now it's just your, the first floor, the, um, the tap room on that floor that's open. Yeah. And then and the, brewery space. And the brewery too. So we've got a TV in yeah. the brewery now okay. just to kind of. We were hoping to have a little bit more than that to offer, but we've got enough space to to enjoy the games. Yeah, there's a lot of space in mm. the back brewery. We've got a lot of tables, chairs, um, games to play, um, and then you get to sort of hang out with the cool brewing equipment yeah. and all that shiny yeah. stainless steel. Yeah, like you feel like you're really in it. So the um, and what you're currently working on is what's like a um, a patio in a deck area and the second floor. Or is it just a second floor then? That's just an extension of our tap room. So they're going to take out the big windows in the front, and it'll be an extension of the first floor. Oh, okay. And the second floor. Okay. So the second floor actually has a kitchen. I mean, we've got – it's almost done up there. We're held up by that extension right now. Once they get the outside of it and the windows in, then we can – probably move along huh? yeah the stairs yeah. are in the addition okay yeah <laughs> minor so, minor details yeah. <laughs> so will you have like a full menu there or the... no we're thinking more like sort of um uh, um sort of grab and go things okay uh, maybe like three or four special things that are vacuum sealed we do pickles made with beer and and jerky made with beer and things okay. like that um with our beer obviously mm. and um all handmade all lo- try to keep local as possible you should make a soft pretzel yeah just because i like them they're good uh, though i know they are good yeah, <laughs> i agree they go well with beer my wife's made some really awesome soft pretzels and i was like i gotta get that recipe and then look to look at all the sourdough and all the work she went through for for like a dozen pretzels that yeah, it's tough. Yeah, I. I you got to eat them right that? away was, too. They yeah, don't there was. Well. They got to come right yeah. out of the oven. Yeah. There was um, somewhere I was at that. Oh, I think it's Gearhouse. Had said that like they looked into like at first they were making their own pretzels and then it was the same thing. It was like the the amount of work as opposed to being able to just order them from someplace that yes, yeah. and they were just as good as That's the same uh, as spent spent grain bread I, I make an awesome spent grain bread but it's just so much work you know you gotta let it ride you gotta be there for it all the uh, time and it's i have bad ideas ignore yeah. me no and the nice thing with the <laughs> food <laughs> yeah. i love the idea yeah. i love a good salt pretzel yeah, the nice, the nice thing with the food is it'll be, you know, a lot of it can be made with our beer. So, you know, if we have 15 beers to pick from, we can pick sort of the best beer that we think would go with whatever uh, food that was. And then also to have some, you know, not that everything's going to be completely 100% healthy, but, you know, yeah. some healthy alternatives where your options aren't just, you know, fried chicken wings and a hamburger and, you know, all heavy it's um, more like a smoked portobello exactly. and maybe a Cornish game, yeah. smoked Cornish game hen or something, something like that. In yeah. the so you've mentioned local ingredients and things like that a few times. Um, that's something you're really big on in like farming and sourcing local fruits and um, the. Is that a big focus for you? The you like using fruit in beer and. You know, yeah. I, 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 I really like a good beer. It doesn't have to have fruit in it. Okay. <laughs> um, but I've liked the idea over the years of sourcing fruit, like sour cherries for the wrong side of the track, um, to help breweries and teach them how to, to add the fruit and okay. how much they need to make it work. Um, I, for me personally, I wouldn't have gone that way. But I do. I have seventy blueberry bushes in my garden, and I have to figure out what to do with those blueberries too. Yeah. So it's become a sort of. I don't know if I want to add that, but what would I do if I did, and how much would it be? Um, it's it, for me. It's 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 tough. I, I 
with without having a good beer to add anything to, um, I don't think it would work. You have to have a quality ingredients and base before you even think about adding extra hops or doing anything with it, lemon peel or what. It, so you like working with fruit, but it's not a f- a focus of your brewing. I don't think it's a focus of us. No, no we. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's a focus of the individual beer. Yeah, there's certain beers that really take well to fruit, like sours, right? So, our locally delicious is 100% local ingredients from the malt to the hops, um, and especially the fruit. So, that's one we're just going to rotate through the fruit. So, Steve's been really instrumental in sourcing a bunch of different local fruits throughout this summer. So, the timing of opening was somewhat interesting because it was (laughs) right at the peak of uh, harvest season. but so that's something that's important to us that when we do add fruit, that it is, you know, sourced locally, that it is fresh, you know, fruit that, that you know, we've handled and that we've turned into whether it's juice or puree or whatever yeah, we have, we've handled. We have nine it. freezers full of local yeah. each season. So we've got frozen plums, we've got frozen watermelon for things that we have planned for our locally delicious in the future. And because, like, I. I n- never even knew there was a thing called a pawpaw yeah. until you, until you brewed two paws with flying dog. I only knew yeah. of pawpaws a year before that, so <laughs> you can you can guess who introduced me to pawpaws. It's like that that meme, like how old were you when you discovered something? Like for me, it was like today years old <laughs> when I when, when I got out of UMBC out. with my environmental science degree. I uh, I ended up uh, working for the state for a very short time and did a um, tree assessment of the, all the trees on UMBC. It was like two, 2,500 trees. And I went and hugged every tree. And then we assessed the, the health of the tree. Um, it, a branch needs to be cut out or it's, it should be taken down because it's a, a, a problem for the student. It's going to fall on a student. Did you enjoy that? Because that sounds actually, miserable. I was really cool. So I worked yeah. with a forester who works for um, actually DNR and um, um, Anne Arundel County. He's a forester for Anne Arundel County. So you can't cut a tree down on on us in a, in a wetland area without talking to this guy. Okay. And he came in. He hugged all two thousand trees with me. So together we hugged twenty five hundred trees. I feel I feel like I'd make it to like tree number ten, and then just write down that they're all good. And well, you had to write the scientific name of each one. I learned more about trees <laughs> and uh, hug more trees. I'm a, uh, he actually introduced me to the pawpaw, to Jim Davis from the pawpaw patch. And um, it was around was four years ago now. And um, I went out to the pawpaw patch, and I had just missed. They had done picked them all up and put them in their pockets. They were all gone. All the pawpaws gone. And he said, you know, I, got a, I had another guy come by here from another brewery. Um, and it was Mr. Wagner out of Baltimore, Baltimore County, Jim Wagner. He, um, he had actually been looking for Paul Paul's too. And at that point, I think there was some sort of test batch that he was doing for a Paul Paul beer and it became a really small world. So the next year, um, I had, I had, I had probably processed about a thousand pounds of Paul Paul's the second year. And um, Judy and Rob, that's when we had first started talking about Checker Spot, and we all went out to the Paul Paul patch. Um, and we, we picked Paul Pauls, and, and, and I ended up freezing another 600 pounds that year for the two batches we did with Flying Dog. So we made one with them, and then we made a second one with them, and then they came and brewed with us. So Matt, Matt and Ben came and actually brewed the Paul Paul, the two Pauls that we have at the brewery. That's gone now, right? Yeah, that yeah. we had. <laughs> that we had at the brewery. The one, um, the one it was that you had at the um, Maryland Craft Beer Festival, was that brewed at Flying Dog or at? That was brewed at Flying Dog. Oh, yeah, because that was well before, uh, like a month or two before you opened, yeah. right? Yeah, we brewed a couple of months before. So we brewed it with them twice. Um, yeah, so it was two Paws and then two Paws 2 was this year. And it... Is it that the pawpaw is Maryland's state fruit, or is that uh, did I make that up? No, it's it's um, it's only indigenous to okay. sort of the Ohio, Mar- the whole the whole Ohio from Ohio to Maryland. Um, it it grows along rivers. It's actually a very small tree. 
looks more like a bush kind of. What kind of fruit is it? Like what it's is- it's um it's like a mango and a banana. It's very custardy. Um, it has six seeds, about the size of a silver dollar, inside. Um, you have to skin it and take the seeds out. They're very astringent. Okay. Um, so basically, what what Jim does is he um, he and his wife for one month they take take off their jobs and they um, they do a pawpaw the month club. So they wrap bubble wrap. They've got six different species of pawpaws. They're all named after Native Americans, Shenandoah. They're all named after Native American tribes. And they wrap them in bubble wrap, and they sent three tons out last year, Jeez. bubble wrapped. <laughs> and then we come along, and basically we take the seconds um, and get charged very little. But all the labor is actually in the processing of them. It takes hours and hours to process it. So I think someone, and it may actually have been you, that told me the reason like you don't see them in grocery stores or something is that the, the, is the shelf life it's really? A minute. Yeah. Okay. They put off a lot of ethylene gas. So like bananas also do spoil. Well, they right. don't spoil, but they just get on a unappetizing looking. Oh, they're okay. actually really good when oh. they're brown. Oh, so they it's still. Like a banana gets really yeah. sweet when it starts getting the speckles and yeah. brown. Um, these actually get the really the the flavor is pronounced it. So they don't they don't necessarily go bad. They just look unappetizing. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what would you charge a pound? I don't. I don't know. It's kind of tough. The, uh, most of the, like I say, the labor, it's labor to, to, to process. Remove all those seeds and the peel. And uh, um, and where where did your name come from? Checker Spot? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the Baltimore yeah. Checker Spot is the Maryland State Butterfly. Um, so it sort of symbolizes our relationship with nature and ingredients and that force, whole. Uh, the force of nature? Yeah. We're a force of nature. <laughs> and it's good. Is so I'm assuming the logo is reminiscent of looking like a butterfly. Of the butterfly, just... yeah. So that's uh, Adam Miller, uh, one of our friends, uh, does all of our did our logo and now does all of our uh, artwork for all the beers, um, beer design. He's amazingly talented, uh, and so he helped he helped come up with this. And um, my daughter calls this the bearder fly. Yep. It's the bearder fly. <laughs> that's a good one. Bearder fly, yeah. Um, <clears throat> when did you officially open? That was in June thirtieth. Okay. Yeah. So, of the um, do do you share brewing duties, or how, or do you come up with your own beer separately and you make those, or is it all collaborative and teamwork? So yeah, everything's collaborative and teamwork. Teamwork, yeah. So you you develop the recipes together, or do you? Have your uh, own actually, and- um, I, a lot of the recipes uh, Judy had already. I mean, the, the junior person and stuff like that, and we just worked together on how to procedure procedure of like say, hey, when do we add the juniper berries? Or I think we we both work really well together. So we both have a lot of knowledge, and actually, Judy is an amazing brewer. So. It's just tweaking. I mean, we just, I think we play very well off of each other. Yeah, a lot of that we did with the, especially having that time to do all the pilot batches where we're really focusing in on making the, you know, the IPA amazing and and different beers like that. And so it's sort of be taking each one and saying, okay, we want more of this, less of this. Like, let's try this next. Let's try this next. And even ingredients, that's the most important thing. Like finding juniper berries, something as simple as like juniper berries. Where do you get those? Are they... Every juniper berry from the three different countries that have them tastes different. And what works better for it, yeast, which works better. Uh, I think we did, what, six different yeast trials on the junipers? Probably, yeah. And then there. didn't even use what we had been, when we brewed it the first time, we used something totally we hadn't. We'd really done a pilot on that with. one. Yeah. yeah. But it was it was one of the last, it was the last pilot batch that I just happened to throw the, uh, hothead yeast in so it's a omega strain that's one of those norwegian strains and just sort of threw it in um to see what would happen and you know our eyes widened it happened really good yeah this is the one (laughs) um but yeah things like that you know we we got to have a lot of fun doing um yeah we did that with the saison yeast strains so tested like six different saison yeast strains made six different saisons same you know base recipe just different yeasts and then had people over you know, and made a little 
event out of it and had people you know vote on their favorites and and then it ended up being a collaboration with waverly too so we did love child with waverly on the saison that was and actually they got the yep so it was and they had they had gotten the yeast from independent so they borrowed (laughs) and independent had just tried that strain then so it was their first time using it yeah we we along with waverly borrowed it for the uh the collaboration, which was our first collaboration, the Love Child Saison. And um, yeah, and that one ended up winning. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. how, how many different breweries did you collaborate before opening with? Ooh, we were counting, it was, it was probably a dozen. At least, yeah. Because say, we were, I was sourcing fruit for a lot of people too. And then yeah. we, did the, we did the stuff with, in DC. Mm-hmm. We've got the grapes from uh, the, the vineyard. Oh, Westminster. Because yeah. yeah. you, yeah. you did one with, um, Milk House, right? Oh, mm-hmm. uh, we haven't done. We did the cask. Yeah. It was like a uh, cask collaboration. Oh, okay. That, and uh, they picked up a couple of the Catoctin Creek barrels too. Okay. So he's got some of those. Yeah, we did some. We did some barrel aging stuff with Monument. I picked up a couple of rye barrels, and I thought it'd be awesome to put fifty one rye in. So that, actually, that was a collaboration that was just sort of a seller. It wasn't even. Yeah, that was fun. This. But yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Our first one was with Waverly. And then the second one was with um, Flying Dog. Um, and then things just sort of snowballed, yeah, with Monument. We uh, did one with Key, with Key. Key Brewing. Yeah, down at Hysteria. Um, DC, independent. Uh, right Proper in yeah. DC. Okay. So that was sort of a triple collaboration with Old Westminster Winery. So we were using their Great Must. So it was something that uh, you know we had wanted to do um, so we'll be doing something like that next year. Um, and then... Got to get a fooder. Yeah. <laughs> Need a fooder. Um, yeah, and then ended up doing that with... Uh, it with seems Bright like Popper, a very so aspirational a thing for almost every brewery. To get a fooder? Oh, yeah. 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 Like, I like wooden barrels. Because there's so many... They are beautiful. It, it's like everywhere... It, I, a lot of places I talk to, it's like they're super excited they just got a fooder, or I'm talking to someone who's jealous of the person who just got their fooder. <laughs> Yep, they are I beautiful. Did, I did a lot of barrel aging stuff at Heavy Seas too. So at some point, we're going to start getting some barrels and and doing some barrel aging things. Yeah, because you have plenty of space for that. So, I mean, especially once you're the everything's finished, you, that whole back area is that the plan? You'll just to have, expand would be what the yeah. once you have all. all all the additional tasting room space just use where you're using the production area for additional tasting room like that would that be where all your barrel where we have the tables in the brewery now probably would not be there Uh, yeah we'll keep we'll keep some area in the brewery it's like when you first walk out Mm -hmm. to the brewery area uh, we'll keep you know some tables and things out there so that you know people have a chance to really you know engage and, and be sort of in in the moment there um but yeah, then we'll be able to use the rest of that space for yeah things like barrel aging and um, expansion, expansion, yeah. <laughs> bigger <laughs> barrels. And I was at um, when you're talking about you, a lot of your recipes are from your home brewing days. I, I would assume if, like if you're having eight beers on tap at a time, you probably have an extensive yeah. collection of uh, recipes, huh? of yeah. recipes <laughs> that you developed over the years. Yeah, there's some books for sure. So is that, I, I think it was Midnight Run when we had them on, they said that they were kind of forced themselves into having to open a brewery because they had so much homebrew that they couldn't get rid of it, but they wanted to brew more beer, and the only way they could keep brewing was if they opened, did it professionally and opened a brewery. So is, is that the spot you found yourself in? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it does. Like, you really, you make a beer, and then... All, you know, all I want to do is brew again. Yeah, yeah, it's like, all right, I finished it. I tasted it. It's awesome. How Let's go do another one. Let's do another one. What, yeah. what are we going to do to make that different? Or? or now I want a different style, or, you know. Um, there's so many styles of beer, and I love so many different styles of beer that, yeah, it keeps it fun, exciting. What's your favorite style to brew and to drink? Um, and are they the same? To drink, I mean, I go back and forth. I, I really like malty beers, um, but I've been very into hoppy lately, especially with all this, a lot of late edition hopping. Um, so we, we definitely do a lot of late edition hopping. Um, so those are probably the, 
I probably like brewing IPAs the best too because just they smell so amazing. Yeah. And that first day, once the you know, once the fermentation gets going, uh, like I walked in this morning, so we brewed uh, Juniperus, our IPA, yesterday. And you know, walk in this morning and just the smell takes over and it's, oh, it's amazing. Um, but it really is hard. That's why we have so many beers is because, you know, I don't just want hoppy beers. I don't just want a sour. I don't just want a malty. You know, I might want a little bit of a strong beer. You know, and I'm, I, I drink a lot of our cream ale. It's um, different times, I feel like, different beers. So um, how, many, how many taps do you have at Checker Spot? 13 plus a cask. Okay. And so we have our uh, two cans and then the 13 plus the cask. What are your favorite styles, Steve? I'd say favorite styles would be, um, I, I, I tend to be on the maltier side, although I do like the um, our, our um, Invisible Pink Unicorn, which is hoppy, but it's not bitter. It's the New England style, more sort of aroma, well-balanced, um, most of my most of the beers that I make are sort of Scotch ales and um, multi forward, um, but I like all beer really. So, what is it with craft beer and unicorns? Never had the unicorns are to awesome. What yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it was just, especially was, when they're pink and invisible. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I the was, fantasy. It's like the fun. Everybody, see, I went I went shopping the other day, and everybody seems to be unicorns are big this year i guess okay. christmas well, i mean like, i um, who doesn't want a unicorn i just i um my my daughter my three-year-old wants gummy bears and a unicorn uh for christmas nice so i asked her um if if she wanted a real unicorn or a toy and pretty much in disgust and more or less telling me i'm stupid she said daddy horses don't have horns i want a toy <laughs> so <laughs> my I, and I'm, I'm pretty sure she wanted to say dumbass or something afterwards <laughs> too but she hasn't learned that quite yet <laughs> yeah so. unicorns seem to be the, the hot thing right now I don't know. Well, it's, it's they're mythological but it's fantasy it's fun it's you know like it's like glitter and unicorns and you know it's it's like magical magical magic and magic. but like in a really like uplifting like exciting yeah. like it was just like lately it seems like there's so many beers either named unicorn something oh. or the rainbows the cans have even if it has nothing in the name there's a unicorn on the can <laughs> and yeah unicorns rainbows and glitter right yeah all that yeah those are very very popular in craft beer now yeah. Where are we yeah. going from there? So there is a Which, story behind Invisible Pink Unicorn. You want to tell the story? That's what uh, Steve wants for Christmas? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not pink. Not pink. I want to clean up. It's pet, okay. It's invisible. Pet, pet unicorn. It's invisible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so the it, Invisible, it's sort of a conundrum, right? So it, it it's a magical creature, but it, it, it's a magical creature. If it's invisible and pink, how do you see it? So it's sort of one of these sort of, catch 22 sort of things that but the beer itself is awesome so to get back to the beer was um i really like the uh new england styles and um the late hop editions of beers and i think it it's probably all comes stems back to all the hops that i put in loose cannon you know that that was basically i never did anything different to the cask of loose cannon other than put the hops the three uh -huh. or four that they used in the process of making it and that that addition, that late addition, that late in, it just it's, it gives a beer such a different mm -hmm. texture on your tongue. Um, it it's it's so fresh. So you're fully on board the uh, hazy, juicy. I don't like that. But, uh, I, or we, we we've been trying to make the hazy, hazy part of it. I mean, we've got the juicy down. I think um, it doesn't have to be hazy though. I, I, that whole chew your beer it doesn't really <laughs> yeah to uh, me the hazy like when they get too, a slight haze great um you know especially if it's from adding a lot of hops things like that um but for me when they can get like almost too chewy gritty. to yeah. me that almost it can muddy the flavor a little bit and just my personal preference i tend to like a crisper cleaner um sort of more refreshing beer rather than like a thick 
chewy yeah um type ipa especially when i'm digging an ipa the other thing that did, 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 was really interesting that judy did and uh, rob's actually gluten intolerant so she's adding clerics to most of our beer so all of our beers are not gluten f- totally free they're but treated they're... to reduce gluten to below 20 parts per million hey. science <laughs> nerd <laughs> but i mean i've had people a bunch of my homebrew friends who haven't been able to drink for years actually are coming to the brewery now and really tolerate the fact yeah nice so i mean I, unless you're a, what, uh, a celiac yeah because it's still well, any, it's still uh, made with you know barley and yeah, some right. wheat in some instances, but uh, yeah, I mean, if someone's severely celiac, I would assume they would stay away from anything that had those ingredients. But definitely for anybody who's gluten intolerant, um, it's fine. So do you do you miss um, the being a scientist, or is nope the <laughs> <laughs> didn't even have to think? <laughs> I mean, I miss I miss getting paid, but other than that, yeah, other than that, a, the mind, the little things, but. No, this is, uh, you know, such a great community to be in. Um, it's yeah, just how everyone works together, how everyone wants to support each other and lift up the industry as a whole um, versus, you know, just being out for yourself yeah. and trying to knock people down, you know, step on their, step on them to, to raise yourself up. Everyone's, you know, sort of that um, working together to, to try to raise everybody as a whole and who who were the closest people to you i'm horrible with baltimore geography distance wise yeah. uh diamondback and okay. suspended so we're sort of in Heavy the middle she's of, guinness they're all within about five miles i guess yeah okay. so we're sort of in the middle if you spiraled out yeah it would be probably heavy seas and guinness and then suspended and diamondback okay yeah and then brewers right yeah everybody's yeah. making really good beer yeah everybody's been so helpful I mean, even like Eric at Barley and Hops. I mean, we we went over and brewed and that was, yeah, there was another yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, we, d- we did. Uh, it was uh, white nectarines and yellow peaches from Boggers, and um, it, we've we've come into these situations where like they gave us beer to kind of pay for the for the nectarines and peaches. So we sold the beer at the brewery, and we everybody made out kind of ha- happily, and then we did the same with the pawpaws too. So Paul Paul is actually <laughs> flying dog. You know, you didn't sell it at the brewery. No. Just that it was only a trade and hops. Trade. We we <laughs> trade. We we actually traded. We traded hops for for Paul Pauls for Galaxy, uh, with flying dog. So they were like, well, it's about you know six hundred dollars worth of Paul Pauls that they used in the batch. And we they traded us for Galaxy Hops, which we would not have been able to get. Yeah, I was going to say, because Galaxy Hops were a necessary ingredient. They gave us a list of hops. You pick this, and we'll, you know, that was a great trade. It was an easy choice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We got 120 pounds of Galaxy Hops. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, we've been. But that, and going back to even like your location, one of the things you've already pointed out, though, like you're right in the city. But you have a huge free parking lot, which how rare is that? Yeah, and it's really That's... easy for people just to jump off of 95 or 295 without having to go through the city. So, yeah. if, you know, if someone can be staying downtown at the Inner Harbor and walk over to us or somebody can drive in from Frederick or Columbia and not have to, you know, go cross yeah, town I, through the Inner Harbor. And When I drove there, it was super easy to get to. So that... that Definitely have that going for it. I, I can't think of, although Diamondback also has that, has a great mm-hmm. location right next to that huge, like within the apartment. Right, right, right. Place yeah. almost that whole too, area, but well, that yeah. whole area is really growing. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Even the, the, all the bars along Fort, Fort Street there between us and Diamondback, uh, everybody is really doing well, it seems like. All right. So, speaking of all the other beer in Maryland, what is your favorite uh, Maryland non-checker spot beer, or what? What's in your top five? I like that. Just uh, uh, Attaboy. Uh, we had at lunch. Yeah, we just had the Attaboy uh, Vic Secret session, Vic Secret, like a yeah. pale ale. That was really nice. I I always like uh, Fifty One Rye from Monument. That's okay. a that's a yeah. solid good one. Um. Uh, I guess Greg's uh, the sours, the goat sours have been really good. 
Oh, yeah, I love he, those. Yeah, wait, uh, Greg makes a great uh, the the kicks. So when I'm going I for because I I definitely like so it's it's what's my favorite versus what do I want to drink? Um, you know, I I definitely love a, a good you know four point nine five percent tight beer and um, yeah the uh, is that low kicks? Yeah, high kicks. Kicks. Yeah, the, yeah. the session kicks yeah. <laughs> is is so good. It's always so uh, hot forward. Yeah, I I absolutely love the goat series. That those are probably my favorite fruited sours. I think he's putting he does a great job. an astronomical amount of fruits in this. I mean, it's where we're putting in a couple hundred pounds in a fifteen barrel batch. He's putting a couple hundred pounds in a five barrels. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. They're expensive, but yeah. And tell. we do need to get, you know, I, I, I really want to get out more. And, you know, I feel like we've been living in a, a hole for a while. And, you know, just we're at the brewery all the time. Um, and so I'm really going to really want to get out more and sort of see what new beers people are brewing. And I feel like we've just, I've just sort of been out of out of the loop for a little while, which, you know, I, I know that's part of the comes with the territory. But, um, you know, I really want to get back out and. I feel like I'm missing all these uh, <laughs> these amazing beers that are. Well, it's interesting. All the great. research we've been doing in the past couple of years, we've been drinking other beers when we go out. Yeah. Um, when I was at Heavy Seas for for seven years, I drank Loose Cannon almost all the time because it, I was given cases as part of your as part of being an employee. You're getting yeah. a couple of cases a month, and that's kind of what I and I didn't really know much other than Heavy Seas when I, until I left, and then to go out and see like, man, there is a lot of really good beer out there. And there's not enough time. Um, and we also ask everyone, have you, and maybe you haven't received any yet because you haven't been around that long, but have you received any laughable bad reviews yet? Oh, well, the one, and we actually, I just figured it out yesterday. Um, sort of early on when we started distributing, there was a one-star review for our Juniperus IPA. I was like, no, it's good. The comment was, one star, it's sour. It's like, huh. And I just found out yesterday, um, one of the guys who works with us, Ryan, he he was talking to one of the bartenders, and we were joking about how, you know, I had actually gone to a bar and ordered a checker spot, and it was a, they had said it was one, and it was actually our Oktoberfest. And so I told the bartender, like, this is the Oktoberfest. Um, but the, one of the bars had messed up, and... Oh, put, put our sour, wrong. put the locally delicious sour on, and said it was juniperus. <laughs> so that one at least makes sense because that yeah, one had, that one had baffled said. me for a while because I was like nothing's been on long enough to be sour, yeah. and our beer's definitely not sour. Like I'm tasting it. I was sitting at the brewery uh, one day, and there was a couple sitting at the bar, and um, I was actually in the back room, and I was looking on Untap. For, I don't know why I was, but I noticed they were they were rating. And she was rating beers horrible. And they were like arguing back and forth on untapped. <laughs> so he would rate something five and she'd rate it one. And then he would, it turns out, I think she got his phone or something and was playing around. That that kind of stuff is a little aggravating, but. Yeah, that I mean, would be. No, people think it's a joke and it's like our, our livelihood, you yeah. know? Yeah. Like you don't walk around telling somebody like, you, you know, you suck when they don't. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, what? Or this beer is sour, and it, it is not, sour. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a sour beer. Or it's way too sour. It's like, okay, well, what do you want? Uh, like, I, I realize you can't, you can please some of the people some of the time, but you can't make everybody happy. But uh, when you go and you rate a beer on Untapped, if you don't like the beer, you shouldn't rate it. I just, yeah. as a general rule, I don't rate anything, whether yeah. I like it or not. I just check into them. Uh, yeah, it's good to check in. Um, and if you if it's really an outstanding beer, it's probably good to say something about it. But I think it's unreasonable to give a beer five. Also, uh, how do you rate how do you rate anything else if you give a beer a five? Well, I guess if although the way I used to rate beers was I I had my favorite all time beer that was a five, and then I rated everything compared to that. But then, like, that was rating them purely subjective on my taste. So then, like, those reviews aren't helpful at all to other people. There was purely well, just... by volume, they would be helpful. I mean, if 100 people kind of voted like you, you'd get some sort of center. Of what... I, didn't, I mean, like, maybe, but, I mean, there are 
beers that are world-class beers that I hate. I mean, it because it's just a style or it's not the type of beer I like. But they're not bad beers. It's just not for me. So that's why that was part of why I just completely stopped rating beer altogether. Because I, I felt like if it just became like a, too much thought to put into, it. and I was like, "Well, forget. It. I'll just check into them so I know check if I had it." Well, it's or hard not. to analyze <laughs> them too because the scale is so narrow that like a three point two beer is horrible and a three point nine is yeah. outstanding. So it's like you know when people are going in and rating something a four or a three, you know, it's it's when you're getting into these like point zero ones yeah. of decimal points on a subjective rating system, yeah. it starts to get you can't you can't. It's hard to use them to like glean any insightful knowledge other than if something has a two like don't order it yeah if something has a 4.5 like maybe try it you know but every i feel like everything in between that it's sort of hard to i actually i don't pay attention at all to if if i'm looking at reviews i don't look at the numbers at all i just scroll through and wait and look for people who actually wrote out tasting notes Mm. that and then base it off of that So what um do you guys have anything coming up over the next few months that you want to Yeah, well we have a really cool uh release beer release on Monday which this might be too late. It would be but, 2 days ago. Another, uh, yeah, okay. So another 2 days ago on Monday uh, November 19th. First collaboration, right? So it's going to be a collaboration with um sort of everyone who came out of Baltimore Brewing Company slash DeGroens. Um, so we're, it was, uh, Barrett Lauer, who's now at, uh, District Chop House, Greg, who's obviously at Waverly, um, Rob Perry, who went on to Brewer's Red, Art Red, Red Brick and is now yeah. head brewer at Red Brick Station. Um, Spike, who is, uh, owner at over Key. at Key, um, he was front of house at, um, okay. at Baltimore Brewing Company and Jim, uh, Sobchak, who is at Gordon Biersch, um, and then, uh, with Joe Gold, who's, uh, part of the, uh, the Baltimore Brewing Company Mug Club still exists. So there's about 40 <laughs> members, and they get together every once in a while um, and and keep the Mug Club alive. Um, and what was really cool about this is uh, the base malt that we selected for most of our beers is called Swan Malt, um, and it's out of Netherlands. And uh, one of the owners of Swan Malt is actually Theo de Groen, who was the brewer and owner of, of uh, de Groen's. Um, so it sort of brings it full circle, and that's sort of how, that's how we came up with the idea to start out with, other than you know knowing everyone and. Um, yeah, when uh, when Theo left the United States, the uh, family sold the brewery they had, at, I guess in the Netherlands or Germany. I'm not exactly sure where they were located, but they sold and they started a malt malting house. Okay. So um, actually, Theodore Gruen, the, the whole family is making malt now. The Swan, the whole Swan malt. Yes, that's a very cool. So um, we decided to do a Pilsner. Um, so it's sort of a homage to the traditional uh, de Groen's Pilsner uh, that was with um, Alsace hops, um, but then bringing on a modern twist. Um, so we all decided, you know, we looked through a bunch of hops and thought what would go well with that. And we picked, um, we ended up picking our cashmere hops. Um, so sort of playing those two off of each other to do sort of a modern, interpretation, modern interpretation of a very classic uh, German style. It's called Swan Song. Yeah. Oh, so cool. Spelled S W A E N. So it will still be at the brewery two days later, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> and so the way we finish every episode, at least for all the ones that I remember to bring uh, my flask into the studio, is this is a single malt, malt whiskey that I made with McClintock Distilling and Frederick. Um, this will help you uh, fend off Rob's germs. Yeah. I'll take from- it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is infused with UK Golding and Meridian hop Meridian hops. Brilliant. Um, and this was this was, this version's only bit, was aged in a barrel for about a month. Um, but they have uh, the real product sitting and resting, and it should. How long for that seven? Um, no, no, it, it's it's only a thirty um, gallon barrel, thirty ish. Um, so it'll a year and a half to two years top. So I think right around a year and a half. So we'll start cool. tasting it regularly to decide um, when it's done. So um, thank you two for coming out and joining me. Yeah, thanks thank for having us. Thank you everyone for watching and listening. Great day. Cheers. Right. Cheers. 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 The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook 
And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening.